Blog Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome to Small Business Digest Radio. My name is Don Mazzella, and I am your host for a program devoted to identifying strategies and suggestions to help small business managers increase profits, add sales, better manage cash flow, improve employee management, and streamline operations. Our guests are other entrepreneurs and experts offering their solutions to the problems and opportunities facing small business leaders. Our aim in each program is to provide one or two thought-provoking ideas or suggestions. So follow us on Twitter at hashtag 2SBDigest or at our website at www.smallbusinessdigest.net. Our guest tonight is a real honor for us, John Spelling. Uh, he's a nationally known business person, leader of, of, of two great companies, and the author of a new book. Uh, John, welcome to the program. Thank you, Don. Nice to be with you. Well, as we ask, uh, always ask all of our guests, we first want to know a little bit about yourself personally before we get into anything else. Oh, Tell us hi. a little bit about yourself, um, John. Hold on. He, he just came on. Well, I was uh, I uh, born and brought up in New York City, and I uh, lived out on Long Island. Uh, I went to um, university at Brown University and the Rhode Island School of Design. I went on to Wharton Business School, got my MBA, uh, started out in uh, marketing. Uh, I, I see Chad Bronstein come on board. Chad, are you there? I'm here, Don. How are you? I'm fine. Uh, a little late, but we're always glad to have you. Uh, <laughs> Sorry about that. I, I guess I was given the wrong time. Uh, it, that happens to the, to the best of us. Uh, I know you're very uh, busy. Chad, uh, you're here today because uh, uh, actually uh, you're the answer to many emails that we get. What are the differences between a service and a product-based small business? What are the advantages, disadvantages, anything you want to say? But before we get into it, Chad, uh, I'd like for you to uh, tell us a little bit about yourself personally before we start anything else. Sure. Well, I live in Seattle. I've been married for 16 years. No plans for kids. I, I grew up in the Tampa Bay area and um, spent most of my childhood there. And uh, as a kid, I started doing odd jobs and mowing lawns, I think by age nine. And I just kind of wanted my own money to spend. And my father, um, in 1981, brought home one of the first IBM PCs. And I was about 11 years old. And that sort of started my love of computers. Uh, when I was 18, I started a network integration company uh, called Innovative Data Systems, and I ran that for 13 years. And basically, we were setting up, you know, small office networks for businesses using Novell Network, uh, Novell Netware, and uh, eventually Microsoft. And after that, I co-founded a company called uh, the Opportunity Group. We had a service for residential alarm companies, uh, helping them. Uh, setting up guaranteed sales appointments for $100. And unfortunately, that didn't work out. And I ended up uh, working as a sales manager for a large insurance company where I had to build my own sales team. And that was in 2003, and that's how I got the idea for Time to Hire. Okay. Tell us a little bit about t Time for Hire, and we'll, we'll go, go into the rest of uh, night's uh, uh, discussion. Sure. Uh, time to hire. It's a it's a three hundred ninety nine dollars service that helps companies find commission based sales reps, and we use a proprietary search algorithm to comb through uh, one hundred thirty million resumes on sites like CareerBuilder and Monster, 
and we find potential matches for our clients and then we contact the candidates using personalized messages and if the candidates are interested then they reach out directly to our client who then books them into uh, individual or group interviews so that's how that works and I've been doing that for 12 years so you identify uh, four companies commission salespeople That's right. Uh, companies that are used to high turnover. They're, most sales jobs are high turnover, but commission sales are extremely high turnover. So we end up with, with companies like uh, Time Warner Cable, a lot of door-to-door type companies, a lot of home improvement uh, companies like uh, Renewal by Anderson and Home Depot, and then just your general insurance companies and other types of outside sales companies. Well, I'm I'm curious. Let's let's talk a little bit uh, about that. What are the types of people that can uh, actually work on commission only basis? And how how do you really identify the good ones from from this? Well, I I think almost anybody could work on a commission only basis. Um, I work on a commission only basis, but I have my own company. Um, but it's really, I, in my opinion, it's the it's one of the best ways to make the most money if you're in sales because there's no cap. Um, in terms of targeting them, that's very difficult, and I think that's you know kind of why I started the company. You really never can really be sure who's going to be successful um, in your opportunity. And some of the main things that we look for are, are drive and determination. Um, but generally what we do is we you know we try to target people that have a sales background although people that don't have a sales background can be successful but that's what we do we initially we try to contact people with certain keywords in their resume like uh depends on the job but you know if it's for outside sales uh hunter closer uh door to door canvassing um we have keywords you know for each type of position and then um, the client, well, you know, it's it's really up to them when they talk to them on the phone to determine whether they're going to be a good fit. Uh, and even then, they're you know they're not really going to know until they bring those people in and and start uh, training them. But you know, sales is a process like anything else. Cool. Very very much so. Um, and uh, there are good salesmen, there are great salesmen, and there are lousy salespersons. Um, <laughs> How, how do you tell the how do you tell the difference from a resume? I guess you can't. All you can do is identify three or four p- possibilities and let the uh, experienced sales manager find them. Would that be a accurate description? I think that's a fair assessment. Um, you know, we do the best we can to to search for certain keywords, and we hope that the people with the right skills are going to call our client. But again, it's up to the our customer to really suss them out and figure out whether they're going to be a good fit or not. Um, you know, generally, you could tell pretty quickly based on uh, you know how much effort is this person putting into the job. Are they are they following uh, the rules? Are they you know are they making cold calls? Are they doing everything that they need to do to be successful? And um, I think it's always good to hire multiple salespeople, and, and uh, they, they kind of play off each other and compete, and that's something that I think a lot of people miss. Well, um, in, in my uh, uh, lifetime, I've put together three or four sales forces, uh, primarily in the publishing industry. And, uh, and I once put together uh, a group of four ladies all of whom had recently been divorced and had two or more children. And they made me a hero within a year. But uh, uh, I've never been able nice. to duplicate it. Oh, I've never been able to duplicate it. But uh, in one year, they actually uh, absolutely blew away the uh, the numbers. Uh, and, uh, uh, and I've always felt uh, 
when I look for a salesperson, I look for a, truly one that's motivated not only by him or herself, but by other factors, namely making money. But it, absolutely, it, when yeah. Go ahead. Excuse me. No, no, I'm. I'm just, you're the guest. I'm. I'm stepping on your lines. <laughs> I was just going to say that when I joined that insurance company, I was. I wasn't in the best shape financially, and a lot of the work involved literally opening up the phone book and making and calling people because the the leads that they provided really weren't all that great. So I just, you know, just kept kept at it, kept hitting the cold calls and kept uh, listening to some of the other salespeople on the phone and just kept just kept at it until I got it figured out. So the drive and determination is, I think, more important than skill because you can you can learn those skills, but if you uh, if you just don't have the drive, where where are you going to go without without that? Well, during the recent recession, was your business better or worse uh, during the recession? <clears throat> I've thought about that a lot, actually, and um, our business appeared to be better during the recession. And I just attributed it to, you know, the concept behind the business, which is hiring commission-based salespeople. Companies, I don't have any real data, but I just assumed that companies wanted, uh, didn't want to pay salaries or were less likely to pay salaries. So they were looking for other avenues and ways to save money. Um, but I'm I'm not 100% sure that that's, that's why. But well, yeah, I definitely compared to my last business during the 2000 and during the 2000 recession, I I got crushed uh, when I had innovative data systems. I I wasn't prepared for it, and I had quite a few customers on net 30 terms and service contracts, and uh, those people weren't able to pay us, at you know at some point. But uh, luckily, we get paid up front with our business, so we don't have to worry about accounts receivable. That's very true, but but let's let, let's talk about hiring salesmen or salespeople. Um, what are the criteria? Well, in your own business, what are the criteria that you use for for selling uh, your product with your salespeople? If indeed you have salespeople at this point. Well, I suppose we have salespeople. We have four. I call them account managers, but they're really customer service people. Uh, even though they're facilitating a sale, uh, they're simply taking calls. Calls come in uh, generally from our website and other marketing activities, and their their goal is to just describe what we do to the client and try to learn, just make sure that they understand what the client's looking for and you know help them help facilitate the sale that way but they're not they're, they're not using any kind of high pressure tactics so I actually made that mistake when I first started the company I hired somebody on commission and it was a terrible mistake for for my business but um, the kind of people that I'm looking for in that role are people that have customer service backgrounds that have worked potentially in a call center um, in fact I, I actually have trouble with people if I bring them in and they've got a lot of sales experience, or they've got more of the hunter-closer mentality. They have a, they have a, they naturally want to close the sale, even though it doesn't require closing. So you, they have to kind of be retrained, um, which is something that I actually recommend to some of our customers because a lot of our customers, I feel, are under the the concept or the idea that the people that they hire. For example, let's say that they that they do cloud computing sales or something like that. They'll ask us, well, we only want to talk to people that have five years or more of cloud computing sales. In my opinion, anybody anybody that can sell and they can do outside sales, they can learn to sell. They can learn the buzzwords of cloud computing and technology sales. Um, and the the big problem with bringing in somebody that already has a lot of experience in your industry is that they're likely to want to do things their own way. And unless there's some kind of superstar, uh, you could run into problems with that. Mm-hmm. I've had that happen, and I'm sure other pe- uh, some of our listeners have. By the way, uh, our listeners, 
Uh, Catherine Merritt is not joining us tonight. Uh, she had a family emergency. So if you're waiting for the crowdfunding, uh, please uh, please uh, look for an announcement about it. Uh, it's unfortunate, but uh, uh, Catherine uh, had a family emergency, and uh, she can't join us. But uh, we are fortunate to have uh, Chad Bronstein with us. Uh, he's w- He's with Time to Hire. We're going to keep him a little longer if we can. Uh, and we're going to talk about some things. Uh, Brad, what was, what are among the more unusual requests you've had for commission salesmen? That's a good question. Uh, we, <laughs> we, had a, uh, we had a gentleman that wanted to hire women only. Um, that happens from time to time. It, it's just a little awkward. Um, and you know, we we can't really go ahead. No, no, you no continue. Sorry. Um, we get requests for MLMs occasionally, multi-level marketing. We we can't help those people. Um, we'd like to help them, but basically they. We've signed contracts with the big resume databases where we're essentially, if somebody charges a fee to become employed, then we, you know, we uh, we can't work with them. But um, we do get some strange requests. We get sometimes we'll get we'll get somebody that wants to hire only military people, or um, every once in a while there'll be a strange invention or a product. Um, and there are, you know, I, I'd say there are there are certainly some things that we can't help with. Like uh, sometimes we'll get an author or uh, somebody that will call and, and ask us to find a salesman to sell their books. But um, essentially, the, the reason that won't work is that we search resumes, we search resume resume databases for the resumes for that information, and there are certain industries that don't don't mesh with that because they're looking for what are called independent sales reps and it's actually super confusing for us uh, sometimes because the customer doesn't understand the difference between the independent sales rep and a, and a commission sales rep but an independent sales rep is basically just a guy that has a line of products and he's used to walking into certain place certain places like he he walks into cigar shops and he has relationships with cigar shops and you have a new cigar and you want to you want to sell those cigars you're going to have to find uh independent sales reps for that and searching resumes we're not able to do that so we usually refer people to sites like um rephunter.net and gotsales.com is another one there's a, a ton of sites like that um but we do get unusual requests but it's interesting that most of the requests seem to fall into three main categories, uh, door-to-door, which is really weird. I, d- I had no idea there were so many door-to-door companies out there still. Um, home improvement companies, very small home improvement companies that are looking to um, uh, for, for roofing, storm damage, and then the third one would be uh, outside sales type type positions like merchant services and uh, 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 there are a lot of local marketing companies now that will go out and canvas small businesses retail businesses and sell them uh, apps and and try to figure out ways to get them seen on a local search like Google and Yelp and some things like that so they're but yeah, we do get some strange ones from time to time, but they but most of our requests seem to fall into those. We do get requests for inside sales and telemarketing and things like that. Well, you, uh, I'm learning a lot uh, as, as talking to you. Uh, what's your criteria for success and uh, for a client? Uh, clients uh, to be successful, I, I would say certainly for them it would be to hire hire some people. Obviously, 
Um, one of the one of the pieces of advice that I like to give when somebody's starting a new business is to try to try to somehow find a way to make your service have a money back guarantee. And uh, we started we started initially with a money back guarantee, but um, it became a problem, and we don't offer that anymore. Meaning, if you didn't hire somebody, we would give you your money back. But obviously, we we can't tell whether they've hired somebody or not. Um, so. On our side, success is measured in the number of responses is what we do. Uh, so depending on the the plan you buy, depending on the number of people we contact, you're guaranteed, at least on your first campaign, a certain number of responses. And if you don't get the those if you don't get that many people responding, then we'll we'll run it again for you. We'll run the service again for the customer. Um we you know it's difficult because sometimes people don't hire somebody and a lot of companies expect to hire somebody and of course they should expect that but if they had um i guess i i should say if they ha if they had uh run the service or they had done some other hiring uh for commission only sales reps they would find out that it's it's literally the hardest position to hire for and then if you if you add on something like they have to go door to door you know it's even harder or insurance sales so we we have to measure success by the number of responses well i'm still so i i'm surprised and i love this program cuz i learn something every every show that there are still people out there door to door it, it just it boggles the mind doesn't it in in this day and age it sh it shocks me and i i'll i tell you about something else that i that i learned there are hundreds of companies, possibly thousands of companies, that have a business model where they go into neighborhoods that have recently been hit by hail. Uh, it's mostly in the Midwest and you know Texas, uh, Kentucky, where they have these violent storms, and they they pay for these Doppler radar subscriptions, and they figure out exactly where the hail hit, and then they send out these uh, canvassing teams to go through the neighborhoods and knock on doors and ask if, you know, tell them, hey, there was a hail, hail storm here and you might have some roof damage on your roof. Um, would you mind if I got up on your roof and took a look? And if there's any damage, insurance is going to take care of it. So I just couldn't believe how many of this type of customer there were or type of small business. Like I said, learn something, something yeah. new every day. Uh, well, here in Seattle, go ahead. I was going to say here in Seattle, um, I've lived in the, the house we're living in now for about three years, and we've o I've only had I think two legitimate door-to-door -door salespeople come by, and I and I think I think maybe we're just not in a good area for that. Well, I've lived in this house uh, where, where I live fifty years. And in that time, I think I could count on my hand the number of uh, of door-to-door -door people I've, I've seen. Had a lot of people try to convince me to find God, but no, very few <laughs> tell me anything. Uh, but but there is a difference. Uh, you know, the, there's the thought about uh, the Bible sales, etc. And I was surprised uh, about five months ago. I actually met a Bible salesman. Who made his living going through the South, uh, selling Bibles, and judging by his car, he did a good. He had a good living. <laughs> but uh, you, you've been a serial uh, entrepreneur. Over time, what are the less some of the lessons you've learned that you'd pass on to our audience? Well, I, I learned quite a bit when I lost my company in in 2001 um, I think the number one thing that I learned was that you have to be ready to let go of your staff um, I had about 11 or 12 people working for me at the time and the economy started going, going south 
and these people are your friends. They're they're your employees, but they're also your friends, and and you hear about their lives and so and so husband is sick and things like that. And it's it's really difficult um, when you're in that position when you have to lay people off. And I was you know young and inexperienced, but I should have I looking back on it, I I literally should have fired everyone. I should have gotten rid of all my employees and then rehired a very small core group that could so we could batten down the hatches and get try to get through the economic uh collapse that was happening. Um I actually read an article, I don't, I don't know if it's true, but I read an article that in the Tampa Bay area there were about 500 or 550 uh, technology businesses and then within about 2 years of the stock market crash 85% of them went went out of business. So I guess I didn't feel as bad, but you know, obviously it was my life, but I would I would say, you know, cut your expenses as much as you can. Um also, you know, if if you can keep your your business as simple as possible and try to operate with as few employees and um minimal complexity. Uh keep your, you know, keep your overhead low, try to figure out ways that you can um, operate with um, the least amount of cost as, as possible, and then understand that you know there's always things in the future that are going to pop up. The economy is going to change. There's no doubt there's going to be another financial collapse. I don't know if it'll be back bad as the the one in 2008, but um, to give you know to give you another example, I, I even though I started this company in 2003. I was only dealing with insurance companies for many years and I had something come out of left field um when the uh, affordable care act Obamacare came out uh it it became partially effective in in January of 2011 and it really threw me off and what happened was all of my clients were health insurance customers and Suddenly, there was some sort of change because of Obamacare, and I believe it had something to do with the reserves that these companies had to keep. And most of these companies just didn't have the reserves, uh, and they and they either went out of business or they weren't able, they simply weren't able to pay their salespeople what they were paying them, and therefore they weren't able to afford my service anymore. So I literally lost all my customers. Uh, and that you know that's pretty short-sighted. I should I should have been. Uh, that's obviously another thing that you want to do. You don't want to have all your eggs in one basket. You certainly don't want to have one giant customer. Um, those are some pretty basic things. So and th- the other thing that I like to say is um, it kind of comes out of marketing is, is A/B testing and try to figure out test every aspect of your business and um from all the, from the applications that you use and the different services that you use it's easy to fall back on your laurels and and sit back and you have a good service with a a company for example you really like your payroll service i i've been using intuit um payroll and there's absolutely nothing wrong with them they're they're wonderful but it's in my best interest to every now and then take a look and see what else is out there and um, in terms of your uh, A-B testing is so important in terms of everything, especially your, your website. Most companies rely on the Internet now. And, you know, once you have a, a good business going and you've got a website up, I really believe that you have to constantly, constantly be A-B testing every facet of your website. Um, is, you know, let, is this button too big well you can you can test it out and a certain percentage of users are going to click on the new button versus the old button and then after a month or two you can figure out if your click-through rate was higher on the new button and then when you install the new button then you a b test that against another another button for example and you would do the same thing with your your advertisements um whether they're online or if you're doing a direct mail piece you just got to constantly be testing and working on those things um and that's you know another another tip that kind of leads into that is 
again, this is really basic, but a lot of people get sucked into working in their business and they, they have the daily minutia of speaking with clients or putting together proposals or um, whatever. And, and instead of how do I create a process and that I can either train somebody to do that's not me or I can outsource, I can find a company that can do this for me and that will allow me to start thinking on a higher level and, you know, what what are the things I need to do to grow my business? What things can I test? Um, and that's that's kind of what I what I try to do, and um, I think it's important to uh, you know constantly be testing all those things. And when it comes to your own <coughs> employees, um, one of the things that's that's kind of painful for me to do, but I still do it, is <coughs> is listening to their phone calls. All of the business that takes place for my company happens o over a telephone. A lot of email as well, but initially uh, clients call and they want to talk to somebody and learn about the uh, learn about the service that way. <clears throat> and if you know if I don't if I don't listen to those calls or have somebody else listen to those calls and then teach them what to look for, things can go unnoticed. And you don't have to listen to every call, for example, but it's it's just good to kind of keep the pulse on all those various aspects of your business. You had setbacks, yet you've always come back. What what makes you come back all the time? Yeah, I thought about that a lot. I uh you know, when when you fail, when I failed in 2001, it it was my business was such a part of my of who I was, and when I failed, I just felt like a failure, and I couldn't, I wouldn't ever be able to do anything ever again, and I fell into a depression. So I think those things are sort of natural, and I think depending on how long you've had the business and how attached to it you are. But once you've had some other successes, I think that's kind of how it worked for me, because now I feel like, you know, if this business fails, it's it's obviously going to be bad, but I um, will bounce back somehow. Um, so in terms of, you know, how you do that, I think, um, I, you know what, I, actually the, the biggest driver for me is that I just don't want to work for anybody. I've, whether it's my personality, it's probably my personality, but I just don't do well working for somebody. I just, and I, I want like to have my own ideas and I'd like to see those ideas come to fruition and, somebody's telling me that you can't do that um, just drives me crazy. So I think that's what drives me. I, I you know, I, I honestly don't have a lot of passion when it comes to recruiting. Um, most of my passion is involves with um, helping people and, and technology. I just love computers and gadgets and new technologies. But to me, it's really not that important what you're doing. And th this isn't true for there have been books written about this, obviously, and this is not true for for everyone, but certainly for me, I'm really not that invested in the whole recruiting thing. It's more, I like to work on businesses. I like to see them grow. I like to see my employees do well. I like to figure out all the little issues and problems that come up on a day-to-day -day basis. You know, how do I get more people to click on this button? How do I... Um, you know, how do I get my costs lower here? How do I, et cetera? Those things are just fun for me. I just absolutely love it. So in addition to not wanting to work for somebody, I really want to be able to kind of create my own thing and to see it happen and make it happen. And one of the really cool things about owning your own business to me is that it doesn't feel like work. If it feels like work, you're doing something wrong. So, I, there, you know, there's the advice of do something you love. And I think that's true, but it's just, to me, it's just I am doing something I love. I like to work on the business, but I'm not really that into the whole. I'm not really that into the concept of recruiting. So, I think if you can, when I, I forgot my point, what I was going to say was, when you when you have your own business, one of the neat things is that it, it again it doesn't feel like work, and because it doesn't feel like work, you can work a lot. When I started this business, I was literally working. I think about 16 hours a day, uh, six days a week, 
and I I think I ruined part of my eyesight doing that, but <laughs> I really, really enjoy doing this kind of stuff, and if you work a 9-to-5 job, you know, you want you just want to come home and, and relax, and that's fine. You don't have any skin in the game, and you're not, why would you want to work until midnight on something? Um, but when you have your own business, at least it's just been the my experience is that I, you know, I like working on my business, and I'll work on it whenever, whenever I want. So that's kind of a neat thing. It is, and that's one of the best explanations I've heard of uh, from an entrepreneur in a long time. Thanks. Very, very interesting. You know, we've we've come full circle. Uh, uh, the, your website again. Uh, it's time to hire dot com time t o hire dot com. Well, you know, uh, now that we're almost finished with the interview, I can tell you that I, in in your nascent stage of years ago, I actually used your service. So, uh, are you kidding? No. Wow. <laughs> no. Uh, uh, Wow. You you supplied us with a, a group of uh uh interesting people but it, it was a very interesting experience for us. We were launching a magazine and we we were looking for commissioned salesmen but in the publishing area. And we did manage to find seven people. And one of them we really were very high on and uh, uh Turned out he was just uh, 15 miles from our uh, headquarters, and uh, we met with him. We offered him a job, and uh, he said he would show up for work that on the following Monday. And from that day to this, we've never heard from him. Well, sorry to hear about that. <laughs> uh, uh, no, it wasn't your but, fault. It was a yeah. very interesting experience. Um, but I do know you delivered. You had there were uh, seven candidates that we actually talked to, and uh, decided we we would want to move forward with. And we actually found one that we really uh, were really keen on. And he uh, he was the best salesman in the world. He sold us. <laughs> yeah, that's that can be a problem, can it? When the the salesman comes in and sells you on his abilities and then turns out not to be so great. It's one of the things that happens in life. But <laughs> one of the one of the reasons you're on the program is I, I knew of your company and had used it. We try to use the products before people come on this program. In your case, I didn't have to. Oh, great. I had no idea. Well... We, we try to find people and, and products and services that are of value uh, to our audience, 59, uh, 59% of whom are presidents and or owners of companies. And that's been pr pretty consistent over the years. Um, but I just wanted to tell you, you, you delivered for us. Well, great. I'm glad it worked out. It, it did. Uh Chad, we're really glad you joined us tonight, today, and uh, I, I know myself I learned a lot, and I hope our audience learned something. If nothing else, is there still door-to-door -door salesmen out there? <laughs> well, thanks, Don. I I really appreciate the opportunity. Well, the other the other thing is, uh, you you've told us uh, a great deal about yourself, and and for that we're grateful. Thank you. No problem. Thank you. Have a good good rest of the evening and good luck to you in the future. Okay, sir. Thank you, Don. Good night. Our guest tonight is a real honor for us. It's John Scully. Uh, he's a nationally known business person, leader of... of uh, two great companies, and the author of a new book. Uh, John, welcome to the program. 
Thank you, Don. Nice to be with you. Well, as we ask, uh, always ask all of our guests, we first want to know a little bit about yourself personally before we get into, into the, anything else today. Tell us a little bit about yourself, John. Well, I was uh, born and brought up in New York City, and I uh, lived out on Long Island. Uh, I went to um, university at Brown University and the Rhode Island School of Design. I went on to Wharton Business School, got my MBA, uh, started out in uh, marketing, uh, working with the uh, one of the largest uh, marketing advertising agencies in, in New York City. I uh, actually started working on the Coca-Cola account, uh, doing market research, and then I was recruited to PepsiCo. I was the first MBA that PepsiCo had ever hired. Uh, they weren't quite sure what to do with me, so they put me out on a route truck and had me work in bottling plants, and I learned the business getting my hands dirty, which, by the way, is the best advice I can give any entrepreneur. Uh, if you want to really understand the business, you've got to understand it at the operating level. And then I was at the right place at the right time. I joined Pepsi when it was a very small company. Uh, it was actually really a strong regional uh, soft drink brand in the U.S., uh, outsold about 10 to 1 in most of the southeast and southwest at that time. Uh, we're going back now um, to 1970, uh, quite some time ago. I was fortunate. I was um, uh, promoted uh, relatively quickly over about – uh, four years to become the marketing vice president of Pepsi-Cola. And um, it was at that time that I worked on such things as the development and launch of the first two-liter plastic bottle, uh, selling into new channels like mass merchandisers and drug chains that had never carried soft drinks because they didn't like uh, glass bottles because they broke. Um, I helped develop a campaign called the Pepsi Challenge, which uh, enabled Pepsi in, in markets where we were outsold 10 to 1 to eventually passed Coca-Cola, and I was eventually promoted to become the CEO of uh, Pepsi-Cola Company, and I did that for five years. Uh, we, by that point, had passed Coca-Cola as the largest selling consumer packaged good in America, and it was because of the work that I did at Pepsi, with, particularly with the Pepsi Challenge, that Steve Jobs uh, recruited me to come to Apple because he believed in the early 1980s that technology would eventually become a business that would have to be marketed much the way consumer products like Coke and Pepsi were marketed during the Cola Wars. And his great vision was that uh, personal computers were going to be tools for the mind that would change the way that uh, non-technical people would be able to become both creative and more productive, the so-called knowledge worker era. And I was at Pepsi, or excuse me, I was at Apple uh, from a year before the Macintosh was introduced all the way um, until Apple became the number one selling personal computer in the world. Uh, that was a 10-year uh, run while I was CEO at Apple. We grew from uh, less than $800 million in revenue to over $8 billion in revenue. And um, I then became an entrepreneur. And I've been an entrepreneur for the over 20 years now, uh, helping start companies, mentoring companies. Uh, today, I don't actually run businesses anymore, but I uh, mentor, invest, uh, rain make, which means open doors, put deals together uh, in a number of different uh, industry sectors. And it's really in that last era uh, that I've been in for the last 20 years of being an entrepreneur that uh, led me to write a book called Moonshot because I saw some things that were going on in the world, Don, that are so incredible in terms of the opportunities for small and medium-sized businesses, particularly entrepreneurs, to be able to game change and build transformational companies. And I wanted to tell people about it, because I've been lucky to be at the right place at the right time, and I wanted to be able to pass those experiences on to others. Well, I have to tell you, your book is absolutely fantastic. Um, I, I read it, uh, still reading it because it's uh, got a lot in it. But um, for our audience, uh, can you kind of sum up what your names are in the book and what you sure. hope that they will get out of it? Yes, I can. Uh, I think of myself, though I've been in high technology now for 32 years, I think of myself as a marketing person. And so I look at technology from the standpoint of, 
So what are the derivative effects of these incredible technologies? And how do we build businesses around it and take advantage of the technologies? So the biggest change that is happening right now, and it's something that's really unprecedented, is that the rapid growth of several new technologies, not just one, but several, cloud computing, uh, giving us the computational power beyond anything we could have imagined a decade ago. Mobile devices, the smartphone has now surpassed the television as the most important consumer technology in the world. Big data analytics, everything is data today. I grew up in the world of mass marketing. You know, today, if you want to be a marketer, you've got to understand predictive analytics, big data as it's called. And these things are creating a power shift in the marketplace. So it's not the technology that you should focus on so much. It's the effects of the technology. And what it's doing is it's shifting the market power from incumbent companies, often leaders in their industry, companies with great products and reputations. But now along come new companies, and the new companies may have a better product or service. And if they do, customers are now in control, not the producers. And the customers are in control because of the communications we have today, because of the access to information uh, we have today, and the social media, which lets customers listen to the opinions of other customers and to be able to pass on their own opinions. And so customers pay more attention today to the opinions of other customers than they do to the established reputations of even the best incumbents in the industries. And so it's a huge opportunity. And it's also, in the book Moonshot, uh, gives pretty good detailed explanation as to why are some of these companies in just a few years, three, four, five years, becoming so incredibly valuable, and why will this happen again and again, and how you can be a part of it. Well, that's a fantastic um, summation. Um, uh, an interesting statistic that I came across my desk on Monday was the fact that uh, Still, a majority of small businesses still are not embracing this uh, because they they're, they seem to be afraid of the technology, afraid of, of using it. What advice do you give uh, an entrepreneur or a small business as to uh, how to how to uh, kind of parcel out these changes and uh, apply them to their to their own business? Well, I have to. Uh, reveal here that, that I am a huge believer that the future of our society in America, our economy, um, really revolves around how successful we are as a country in terms of making it possible for small and medium-sized businesses to be able to continue to grow. I mean, how do we deal with the increasing regulations? How do we deal with the uh, changing opportunities and the changing competition? And so, uh, what it really means is that an entrepreneur, a small and medium business owner or executive, needs to have a broad curiosity. You've got to be interested in what's going on. And what I learned years ago uh, in the years that I was working um, with MIT at the MIT Media Lab was that you have to be able to see a problem from multiple perspectives. And you don't really understand something uh, Marvin Minsky, a famous uh, professor at MIT, used to say, unless you see it from more than one perspective. And I think a small and medium business person needs to realize that technologies are commoditizing rapidly, but it's domain expertise in different domains and connecting the dots between these domains. So, so why did Kodak, for example, miss digital photography? They were the leader in the world, and yet... Um, companies that had started in the digital era, like, like Apple, um, saw that photography was going to move to the smartphone, and uh, they took advantage of the fact that wireless communications was moving from uh, simple text to the ability to see photos and be able to transmit them over um, a regular smartphone, and it was Apple who ended up uh, owning the digital photography industry, not Kodak. And so a small and medium business person needs to be well-informed and they need to have a big curiosity. And they always need to see something, and this is what I try to lay out in 
pretty much an instructional format in Moonshot to see the world through the eyes of the customer. Always start with what's in it for the customer. What's the big problem you can solve for the customer? And can you come up with a solution that is better than whatever solutions exist today? If you can, uh, you've got the first principle of you know, how to build a successful transformational business. Start with a customer problem. And then in Moonshot, Don, I also go through and explain what I call the customer plan. Uh, many people are familiar with the term business plan, and that can be a pretty uh, laborious process, often taking months to put together each year, the annual business plan. But actually, uh, I don't see that much more than just a budget exercise because it's basically looking backwards and saying, okay, so next year we hope to do a little better, so how will we have the additional money we can generate from doing a little bit better, and how do we allocate it from department to department? That isn't how you build a transformational business. The way you build a transformational business is you have to build a customer plan, not a business plan. And the customer plan says, what does it take to address the big customer problem that hopefully you've identified and to say, how do I engage customers to be excited about it? How do I look at the cost of customer acquisition? How do I uh, retain the loyalty of customers once they have come on board? It may astound people to realize that it typically costs five to eight times more to retain a customer than that you may have lost, uh, I should say, to replace a customer that you may have lost than if you had retained that customer in the first place. And so uh, when you start to realize how valuable a business uh, can be when you see it through the eyes of the customer metrics and when you build a customer plan, it's always about how do you, you know, build a plan that gives you differentiation versus what the other choices are out there for those customers and leverage the things that you can control, which may be you know, unique ways to acquire customers, unique ways to build loyalty with customers, unique ways to monetize the customers. And what I uh, reveal in Moonshot are many of the successful strategies that other people have done. Moonshot's not my autobiography. Moonshot is a conversation with entrepreneurs in many different industries about what did they learn, how did they apply it, particularly through this idea of building a customer plan. Well, in, in today's world, it's fairly, uh, it's a lot easier to reach out to your customers. Uh, I really should put that as a question to you. Is it easier today to reach the customer and to better identify the customer than it was, Absolutely. say, 20 years? Absolutely. If we go back to even during the era that I was CEO of Apple, we didn't have much better information than when I was CEO of Pepsi. Um, you know, we were uh, kind of looking at, at large categories of demographics and we didn't know exactly who was going to buy our products or how frequently they they may uh, want to uh, continue to look for a, a, a product over time. Uh, we just didn't have much data. Well, guess what? Uh, all of this data is available today, and because of the reliability and the uh, dramatic improvement of not only the power of computers but the uh, cost of being able to personalize this data down to individuals, this kind of information is available to every company, not just big companies, but it's the small, agile companies that take the time to understand how accessible this kind of information is, how cheap it is to get this kind of information, but the key thing is how do you put it to work, and how do you commercialize a product, an idea, a marketing campaign in a way that is going to be able to deploy it. So the key insight is uh, not that this is possible uh, or not that there aren't a lot of people with good ideas, but it's all about commercialization and execution. And here's the thing which I found uh, so significant from the most successful entrepreneurs in many different industries that I t talked with in putting the book Moonshot together, and that is you never learn from your successes. You always learn from your mistakes. In fact, your successes often uh, cause you to be a victim of your success because you assume that the reason you were successful 
may or may not have been the reason you were actually successful, and you often become complacent. I mean, why is it that Microsoft and Intel, who dominated the 1990s during the era of the web with personal computers, and yet both of them missed mobility? I mean, how is that possible? I mean, they had uh, very smart people. Uh, they had incredible resources, and yet they both missed mobility. So you have to have the perspective of seeing things through the eyes of the customer and then being able to map into that uh, what are the advances in technology that make things that were expensive in one era actually incredibly cheap, and in the case of knowing your customers at a personal level, actually very practical to know exactly who your customer is, exactly what their behavior is, uh, and then being able to uh, take that knowledge and turn it back into a business campaign. And these are the types of things which uh, small and medium business owners and executives are moving to. And I call this uh, being an adaptive innovator. Uh, not everybody needs to be Bill Gates or Steve Jobs or uh, Larry Page from Google or Mark Zuckerberg from Facebook. You don't all have to be geniuses to be able to participate in this. But what you have to be is someone who is curious with an open mind, willing to work hard when you see an opportunity, uh, sense the urgency to be very focused, and you have to be able to learn how to use these new tools that are all about uh, applying data. And so I'm a big believer in being able to use uh, data analytics. Now, I was lucky because I studied math in graduate school, and I come from a marketing background, and I've been working with data my whole business life. So uh, to me, this is like the best time in my life uh, because now the things that we thought of as just uh, academic decades ago suddenly are in incredibly practical today. And they're ex available in various types of services from different uh, technology and other business and marketing cloud companies right now. You don't have to go off and become a mathematician in order to use it. Well, uh, a question uh, that comes up often when I talk with our audience is the fact that uh, many of these uh, companies that take advantage of all this are really run, uh, started and run by younger uh, people. And there almost seems to be a generational gap between the, the younger people in, in uh, some of these industries and the older people. Uh, do you see that or do you uh, see uh, uh, innovative people who are uh, older generations? Well, I'm older generation and I still feel pretty innovative. Um, but I don't uh, take for granted that I'm going to be able to do it as well as the younger people. And so uh, you have to be able to tap into the young talent. And anytime anyone worries about America, just get out and uh, go to one of the incubators where these young people are uh, working together. In many cases, uh, four or five companies will, will resident in a location, and they get to network with one another. Uh, but you know what? Uh, they love having a mentor. And so for me, I say, gee, I can be a mentor. I can help them commercialize their businesses. I can be a rainmaker. I can open doors. And there are other people like me out there. So uh, you have to say it takes a team to build a company. You know, building a company is a team sport. And you have to figure out uh, when you're putting people on the bus, get them into the right seats. So you don't have to have uh, everybody doing the same thing. It's great having uh, a few gray-haired people uh, on, on the team who can uh, be able to put into context the experience they have, uh, but you also want some young people on there who are bringing in new talents and have a lot of high energy. So um, it is a team sport. Uh, it's a very interesting... Uh, I've gone to some of these incubators, and you're right about that. It's amazing how... Um, they work uh, 20, uh, 20, almost 24-7, uh, seem to have a, a whole different approach to the way things are, are done than certainly uh, my generation, and I think we're somewhat contemporaries. Um, uh, as a final sum-up, uh, what would be the three things that, that uh, uh, if you had to sum up every, everything you said, uh, you would say to our audience? Well, number one, building 
a business today, whether it's a business you have and you want to continue to uh, make it successful or whether you're thinking about even starting a new business. It all starts with the customer. Uh, And if you're going to solve a big customer problem, you better have a really good product. Uh, I've been fortunate, Don, because uh, I've always worked with companies that built great products. I've never been in the position where I had to sell a mediocre product. I wouldn't honestly know how to sell a mediocre product because uh, I believe that uh, so much of the success uh, has to revolve around getting customers to talk about the products. You know, what do they like about it? So I'm constantly in- interested in getting customer feedback. So it starts with a big customer problem that has to be identified. You have to create a solution or a product or a service that matches as closely to uh, what you believe is the most exciting way of solving that problem for a customer. And then it's, it's all about getting the right people in your company. It, it's always about the people. The, the people are more important. I'm talking about the people in your own company are more important than the ideas. Now, here's the interesting observation I'd make about Silicon Valley. You go out there as a young person, uh, you're valedictorian in your school, you think you're pretty smart, and guess what? You show up and you discover everybody's a valedictorian. There are lots of ideas. There are thousands of good ideas and smart people. So why, if there are so many ideas and smart people, are there only a handful of really successful companies? And the reason is it's all about people. And so you've got to pick the best possible people to work with you. Remember, team sport, build a team, and being able to attract the right people to work together. And then it's all about timing. I mean, you've got to be doing the right thing at the right time. Sometimes you can be too early. Uh, sometimes you can be too late. So... Uh, it's customers, uh, it's getting the right people, and it's doing the right things at the right time. Well, uh, the, uh, the name of your book again and where people can get it? Yes, the name of the book is Moonshot, uh, How to Create Game-Changing Strategies to Build Billion-Dollar Companies. It's available on Amazon. You can get it as an e-book. You can get it as a hard copy book. You can get it as an audio book. Uh, It's designed for uh, people. You don't have to be an engineer to read this book. It's designed for uh, people in business who think about things in an intelligent, common-sense way and who are really interested in building customer-focused businesses. A question. Why did you decide to write the book? I decided to write the book because I've been so lucky in my life to have been in – some really interesting places at transformational moments. I've worked with some of the most talented uh, business people in the world over a good number of decades, and I said that I want to pass some of this on. I want uh, people to realize that they can do it too, that there are lessons here that I and others have learned uh, that can be first principles for those who want to go out and build their own businesses and build their own successes. You know, I'm a big believer that America's future uh, revolves around innovation, entrepreneurs, uh, being able to adapt. That's why I call them adaptive innovators, to adapt to the changing opportunities and the incredible tools that we have today, such as uh, mobility and big data analytics, cloud computing, uh, how these things can dramatically change the cost of doing business and the quality of customer experience that we can offer customers. So I wrote it uh, really because I wanted others to be able to um, enjoy some of the success and, and fun, really, because I really enjoy doing what I do. Uh, that is very much possible today all over the world. Well, John, thank you for taking uh, your time today uh, to talk with us uh, if they if they wanted to reach you or how uh, or learn more, is there any way they can? Uh, do you have a website or something? Sure. Yeah, you can go to John Scully, uh, uh, my website, johnscully.com. That's S-C-U-L-L-E-Y. Uh, you can go to Facebook, and you'll see um, that I, I use social media, Facebook, Twitter. Um, so you can find me there, also under John Scully, and um, you can buy. Uh, moonshot and you'll you'll see there's a lot of discussion groups around uh, moonshot uh, there are many who are doing blogs uh, around the book uh, so it's all about uh, getting connected into a network of people who are interested in 
the same kinds of things you may be interested in. And there's a sweet spot out there, I think, uh, for small and medium-sized businesses. Well, thank you again, and uh, 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 we hope you'll come back again and uh, talk some more. It's certainly, I certainly learned a lot today. Great. Well, I appreciate you inviting me, Don, and, and I've enjoyed the conversation. Have a good day. Thank you. Thank you for listening tonight. All of our guests are invited because they offer actionable advice to our audience. They do not pay to join us, but rather demonstrate their capacity for helping our audience add profits. Thank you for listening, and we'll be here again next week with other experts to talk about ways to improve your profit picture. Remember, we're here every week at blogtalkradio.com slash smallbusinessdigest. If you like what you heard today, tell others about our efforts. If you'd like to be a guest or suggest topics for future hours, email me at info at smallbusinessdigest.net. That's info at smallbusinessdigest.net.